0: and welcome back to the digital growth hacking podcast i'm your host Nemi yasini unfortunately sad day stacy couldn't join us today so it'll just be me on my own sim with a gentleman that i have hounded for a year i kid you not 12 months to get on this show. And guess when I got him right after his Christmas party. Podcast might be a bit messy, might be a bit enlightening, but at the, but I can definitely know that it's going to be entertaining. So with that, I want to introduce uh, Peter Hutchison from Cotton On. Peter, you want to say hi?
1: Hi, Nima. Uh, yeah, and hi, listeners. And yes, it is all, it is all true. Nima has been persuasive over the last year and he's finally got me and I picked my date very badly. <laughs> but I'm here.
0: You agreed to it. I didn't even know it was going to be a Christmas party. Good for you.
1: I'm terrible at planning diaries, but anyway, that's okay.
0: Yes. Well, thanks, mate. Thanks for coming on. And so you might realise I, I uh, me, me and Pete have, have got a pretty good relationship. We have a lot of really good banter. So hopefully that translates to a really good podcast. Fingers crossed. Pete, I know you. I'm pretty sure a lot of people out there know you, but for the people who don't, do you want to just do like a, a sizzle reel for your career?
1: All right, I'll give it a go. So uh, 500 years at Cotton On Group. So Cotton On Group is obviously a a multi-brand group, multinational group retailer. Really fallen in love with retail about a year before that, doing a bit of work consulting uh, through a consulting company for Target. Um, So just really fell in love with retail and and then found Cotton On. But to get to that point, I actually came from more of a marketing advertising background. I spent about 15 years in digital, working for ad agencies, predominantly building more experiential campaign kind of work. So big brand stuff that was really fun, but actually just so removed from results, you know, it was, it was so big picture and so removed from results that when I found retail and I went, we do something today and we measure a result tomorrow, I just got super excited as much as it's exciting doing the big marketing stuff. Often if you're marketing, you know, a a car brand, for example, you might not know what you're doing is working for a year. You know, you might be working on bank mortgages, you know, you might improve the funnel, you might improve the marketing, but it's really hard to see that direct correlation. And I think that that's really led me on my journey actually all the way just to loop it back to where we are today that excitement that you get in retail you get that in experimentation and so that's kind of where that journey's built for me so you know I love doing all that work but just found I wanted to be in something a little more fast-paced and a little more instant probably just to do with my the impatience and my personality type which which I know you and I share so
0: you're a result junkie that's like me may- on the outcome what's it like
1: Yeah, so it's been super exciting. And look, picking up, we've had a bit of a background in experimentation. but We'll talk more about that and my journey there. But I think it really dovetails nicely. I think it's really hard to get into something like retail and then not naturally progress into that, um, more of that growth hacking kind of mentality because you just, retail's tough, you know, it's a really tough gig. It's a lot harder than some of the other verticals I've worked in. You kind of got to get your results where you can. It's a a tough gig these days. So all the more reason that you want to really take more of a, um, of a, of a rational numbers-based approach, you know, and, and, and experiment and learn and measure.
0: But Pete, did you, did you do it because you're looking for results or did you do it as a way of kind of, because, you know, a lot of people come into this kind of results-orientated experimentation kind of thing to kind of prove their point that they're right and the boss is wrong? Or did you come about it around how can I find some quick wins?
1: I'd love to say I've never done a test to prove someone wrong, but that would be, that would be untrue. But equally I've I've been wrong plenty of times too. So I, I find that exciting. And I think if you build the right culture, that that's actually fun and everyone has a laugh about it. We've even we used to actually place bets between the general manager and I. And we would publicly talk about that when we talked about the roadmap. I don't know why we stopped doing it. It's probably because I do that session. I probably lost too many bets. But we used to actually, we used to actually do like uh, what results we, what result I thought, what result the GM thought, and then we'd share who was right and wrong. And the team found it really entertaining. It's funny that thought. I haven't thought of that for years. That thought just came up. I think I'm going to reinstill that one.
0: I think you should.
1: Sure. Yeah, I think that builds those sorts of things. Build a great culture around yeah. around what you do, and it actually by making having fun and having the the general manager say, "Well, I'm willing to stick my neck out and back something, and then have a laugh if I get it wrong." It says everyone everyone can do that. So look, we, we do it for a lot of reasons. I am results oriented, but actually I'm just, I, I love innovation. And I used to love working in the innovation space and digital and doing, you know, digital firsts, experiential campaigns and things. But actually just as much now, I love just innovating a tiny little nuance of the UX and seeing a result. So half the time it's just curiosity because we actually start with that idea of what might happen if we did this. So we go, oh, that's a good idea. Maybe we'll try it. And maybe the rest of the team say, yeah, but you could also, in that similar thinking, you could do this. And then we debate for on, then we test. And so it's partly the curiosity. We love, obviously, to get the results because we need to do that. But the, the fun and probably what drives you as much is that that learning stuff and what probably makes me excited to really push our program next year and make it a really key part of what we do is that there's all these things I'm excited to learn.
0: Yeah. And I know they'll
1: lead to results. But it's, it's both.
0: Was that culture there before you arrived? Did you pull that culture into, like, I mean, at the heart of Cotton On, I'm pretty sure everyone knows who it is, but at the heart of Cotton On, is, that, that, is there this culture of constant learning and evolving or is it something that you brought into the shop?
1: So yes, there, there is absolutely a culture of that more than anywhere I've been because it is really an innovative product company. You know, when you think of the actual product ranges, they try lots of ranges. They're not afraid to fail. So great culture on that front, but less so customer experience there's probably more of a we'll trust our gut we'll look at how do we stand up against the competition we'll look at what we think best practice is yeah in my in my mind uh, we are building more of a culture of let's ask the customer let's let's test it you know if it's more of a market research thing let's survey it let's interview let's use a test let's run an experiment and getting you know getting varying successes with that obviously different people have different natural kind of inclinations towards that so where, where we have the success is where we try and apply it to that existing thinking. Cause we go, actually this is no different to what you guys would do over here in this part of the business. sort of trust us, this is the same version of it. It's just, we call it something different and we measure it in digital in a way different way. So yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely a challenge. Um, particularly where we like to move pretty quick as a, as a small, smaller kind of private business in terms of we run like a smaller business. We're not small in terms of scale necessarily, but we try and run a bit more like a small business. And I think, um, or you know a smaller business, we try and move quickly and not not get too caught up in you know talking to ourselves about the nuances of things. We tend to want to get going. And I know in digital, when you're scaling across multiple websites, you actually do often do well to, to pause and actually really get that UX right and get that experience right.
0: That's really interesting. Can I? You just said something. I want to probe into that a bit more. You said we do research, and you said testing in the same breath as research. Is experimentation a method of research for you or is experimentation something
1: else? 100% research. So we've actually probably had more value recently in A-B testing through actually helping validate things that are on our site as we go through a redesign process. So we had a big push from the, the group, as you know, to actually lift the brand experience. So, you know, the UX was quite good and our, our conversion rates weren't, weren't too bad. Lot, lots of improvement. Very
0: good. She's very good. I wanted to do a yeah. shout
1: out Sh- Shout out to Mary. She gets she gets lots. She well-deserved well, well deserved shout outs. The situation was we were doing a redesign, not just because we wanted to improve the the UX, but we wanted to show up in a different way. Our site was about four and a half years old. What well, we'd often say when people say, gee, things are looking a bit dated, you'd be like, yeah, we did design that site before, four and a bit years ago. So Can we we have a go again? Obviously, we did try and improve the UX through that process, but there were certain things where we went over four years, you add a lot of stuff to your site and all of it was well-intentioned, but none of it was done as cohesively as you'd like because it wasn't designed through the journey. It was designed, let's add this widget. Let's add that widget. Let's see what this does. And each one of them actually improved conversion. But on the whole, how's it all going and how's it all going years later? And so we actually A-B tested just turning a bunch of stuff off on the site to make sure it should be justified in the rebuild because it's expensive to redevelop it all. And some of the stuff we went, actually oh, gee, it'd be nice. You know, part of me was just thinking, how do we reduce the complexity of this project? I'd love to just cut some scope. And we tested stuff. And look, most of the stuff actually made it in because, you know, we hadn't done a terrible job of it and it was working. Now we refined a lot of it. But, yeah, I think that's a bit of an underrated a, build, a capability that you have at your disposal when you've got an optimizer or something plugged into your site it's actually they're the easiest test to set up because you're just showing and hiding stuff but it actually helps you declutter and if you are about to go through some expensive development you know really just knowing the basics without even going into iterations of it just knowing whether it's actually driving value and should i should i focus because we might do it and go it improves conversion by a tiny percent how much do I really want the team, the development team, the UX team, the usability testing? How much do I want them spending on that when they could spend that somewhere else? So it's it's business prioritization.
0: Yeah, I think it's such a smart way. And I've I'm, I'm, got to tell you, like the number of organizations that are so output focused, production output focused, that they don't actually stop and go, well, what's the value of this? If I'm going to output it, should I do that? I think it's such a smart thing to do. And too few companies do it. They're just so, let's get it into the engineer's hands just build shit rather than build shit of value. I think there's a real difference in there. Are you willing to share your most enlightening turn on, turn off experiment that you went, shit, I thought that would work a lot better. Was there anything that stood out that you're like, wow, I didn't expect that?
1: I'll share one. We tested making size filtering more available to the customer. So we know when customers are browsing list pages, particularly sale, they want to filter to their size so they're not wasting their time. We tested it in some varying sort of situations in terms of where the business's stock position was and sale mix was. And I was adamant this was going to be a killer test. We tested it in two markets. For the most part, that just lowered conversion. and Did I'm, it? Yeah, and I'm just going... Well,
0: actually, size guides, giving people size uh, guides.
1: Not size guide, but the option to filter your size. So oh, I can right, go no, on to yeah, men, yeah. men's tees and I go, I only want to see what you've got in large.
0: Large, yeah. And,
1: and as a guy, like if I'm going in and buying and I don't want to, I don't want to make too many kind of gendered, uh, stereotypes here but like as a guy if I go in and shop and people I talk to if they go in and shop it's like I only wear size large tees I only wear size 32 jeans like just let let me out that product I work with one of the girls in the team who's just an absolute you know fa- fashionista loves shopping just loves retail she, she managed that test and she's like yeah I, I didn't think so because if like you don't have the medium graphic tee that I want I'll just buy it in a large it'll still look cool so if I filter to medium you're not showing me all this stuff I might buy and if I love the tee I'll convince myself I can wear it in a different size. She's like, I'll probably return it a week later. But like, you you don't get the shopping mentality. And I'm like, right, okay. So my rational thing.
0: I love how she's telling you that you don't get the shopping mentality. I love that. It's awesome.
1: Yeah, but I'm not our customer, right? We we yeah. have so few. I'm not going to say my age. Males at at my age, right? Like I'm just miles off our target customer. I, I like I'd be five percent of our of our customer. And so this is why we can't we. We can't let a bunch of you know middle-aged guys like us design the experience because we'll probably I'm get it wrong. Age,
0: I'm beyond middle-aged. I'm done. <laughs> I'm fucking cooked.
1: Speak for yourself. <laughs> I feel middle-aged. I feel well beyond middle-aged. Yeah, I'm hoping to live. I'm hoping to live pretty old though. So,
0: well, you know, you've, there's a lot of stuff you can do these days, Botox and all that. <laughs> so listen you, you you hinted on two marketplaces and that's what i really wanted to surround this kind of conversation around is the is your global program uh, tell me how did you how did you do that like did you go to work in australia like let's just run in, in america or was it more that you were purposeful you started in a, in a smaller market like u.s market cotton is not as big as what is in the au market like, did the program begin locally and then open regionally or did you just go, we're doing this everywhere?
1: It's kind of a bit different to either of those. It started as we're mostly testing UX stuff and it's mostly universal and we're short on time and this is new, so let's just treat it as global. Let's try and just find the, the, the sweet spot. And I stand by that in theory. I think a lot of UX is pretty universal. You know, bad, bad UX if a customer's struggling to find something or exactly. understands something in the US, it's probably the same um, in Asia. What, I, what we have learned now that we've got optimising in the mix and it's easier to test by market just because the, the way it's set up with the targeting and things on our, on our previous capability, it was really difficult. We tend to now try and do at least two markets because we have learned that it varies. We're a pretty small team relative to how many different sites and markets we run. So we still sometimes go for simplicity and go, hey, it's a bit up in that market and it's a bit down in that market, so let's just go with the one that looks to be on average the best there, there will come a time, I think, where we start to localise some things, but we've had a few examples that we've put down without sort of giving too much of the detail and taking too much time. We've found that the, the biggest difference is actually, are you in like a growth market where majority of your customers are new, or are you in an established market where your customers know you pretty well? So in Australia, obviously, we're one of the sort of most established brands in the country, been around a long time, pretty household name. Obviously, lots of our customers have shopped with us before in Australia. So, you know, it's not necessarily a growth market in terms of Australia isn't growing that quick. We've already got a large percentage of Australia. If you don't yep. shop with cotton on, it's probably for a good reason. And look, we love to grow and we still grow in Australia, but it's not like a new market where you've got huge, huge potential. You know, if you're a retailer and you've got a presence in a different market, I think I would be starting at less at are the customers different from a UX perspective and I'd be starting more at the perspective of if we're growing there, what, what is it about new visitors that they might want to know more than in another market? And if you take a market like the US, everyone will tell you they're much tougher on proposition. You've got to have the right delivery, the right returns, the right payment. They're much more choosy. They're less forgiving on slow delivery. They're less forgiving on things like that. And if that's also your growth market, which for probably lots of people listening to this podcast, that you know if they've got a US operation, I'm assuming they're, they've begun in Australia and they're growing in the US. Yeah, that, that's where I'd start. Yeah, my experience would tell me that that's where you'd start looking to go, actually, is it about different content around those things that that customer needs? Maybe a bit less focus on things like signing into account because how many account holders are you really going to have if they're all new? So, you know, whereas in a country like Australia where you've got lots of them, already got accounts, already on the loyalty program, you know, it's a different journey and asking, asking them to do different things is probably going to have a different result. So...
0: So do you bucket, like what you're saying is you bucket your experiments. It sounds like there's this kind of, it's UX, everyone in the world suffers. it, And then there's content, which is more contextually relevant to the market, how well they know the brand, how well they know the products. And that content experience might be different types of experiments to what you do in the UX side. Is that is that kind of what you're saying? You bucket them?
1: Yeah, so we we try and test everything in a growth market and an established market, just because that gives us the bookends, you know, and then everything. So
0: that's in your bucket, right? Growth and established market. Yeah.
1: And so you test everything there. We haven't done it, we haven't done enough on that point I was just talking about around proposition and that, and that's actually what what's on the roadmap for next year is to really get under the hood of what are the customers in different markets need based on maybe it's more their life stage with us. And then what do we need to, to be competitive in those markets based on how, you, how we shop against competitors? So that would be my advice to anyone kind of listening, like think about it in that way rather than, you know, if you've got a big team and you've got lots of capacity, great. I'm sure there are some UX patterns that are different, particularly in Asia, where they like things busier, they like more detail crammed into the screen at once. If you look at a lot of nat- you know, native businesses that are, that are born and bred out of Asia, they're a lot more discount heavy. They're louder. You know, they use certain colors and different things. Great if you had time and you were big in Asia, go go nuts and all that stuff. But if if you're if you're us and you don't have the time to get that nuanced, I think just start more high level.
0: Yeah, I think everyone's the same. Do you find did you find it challenging setting up more of a? I mean, like the challenge of having a global program rather than a local program. I'm sure it would be more complicated. Like, did you did you have that, or is it more me imagining it'd be more complicated because there's more markets to think about?
1: Yeah, it is because you've got to do. I think you really do need to test two or three markets for anything substantial. Therefore, you've got to do the analysis, and then you scratch your head and try and go, well, "Why do I get one result in one market and the opposite in oh, another?" Yeah, exactly. Um, so it's definitely more work from a tools point of view, though, because we run the same web platform across. Generally, that you know, with that you build the test and you just target it to the market, and it, hey, it all works, and you, you know, it's happy days, there's a few things that are different by market that we've had to do. But yeah, it depends, So you know, for people listening, it really depends whether your platform is the same. If it is, then look at, a, look at a tool like an Optimizely that can sit over all of the instances globally. And the cool thing is then you can, we, we've actually had, there's been a few points where we've hit a bit of the kind of velocity I, I want us to hit around testing. We've had two tests running across two markets each. So we're actually running four tests essentially simultaneously or overlapping. They didn't go live at the same time, but we're running them over overlapping. And that's pretty exciting because you're starting to get all these different data points in. And have, So if you are global, the benefit is you've got a test you really want to run and you go, oh, Australia is busy because we're running that test on it. US is busy. Okay, we'll throw it over to South Africa and at least we can start learning. You know, it's pretty exciting. I think the guys that we work with, uh, that we've partnered with on testing they've been super excited to go, oh, that's not a problem here because we've got another site we can run it on. So, like, they're, they're excited by that.
0: What is the benefits of the global is being able to scale which market you run what test, right? What's the, what is the, the detractor from that? Like, if that's the benefit, what's, what's some of the issues that you face in the global kind of testing program?
1: The two things really are the work. So you you know, we've struggled to really support and I think we'll I'll talk to that in a second. You've got to when when we talk to sort of what what I'd do differently, but I think the work and analyzing the results and making sense of things, unfortunately, it's probably only half the tests where you just go great, I know exactly what that test tells me and we're done, we're doing this. It's like each test sort of tends to pose another question or cause another thought. yeah. And so you feel like you're never done. And because it's global, you're getting these different results from different markets and you got you got to kind of, there's just a lot more time to make sense of it, right? Just the, the mental... You know, it's the just- data
0: analysis bit that's the challenging bit of it.
1: Yeah, and then if you need to get, you know, leadership aligned to go, you know, am I aligned with what the team think? You know, you got to have a meeting, you got to have a chat. These things are yeah. nuanced. You, you need to hear all the perspectives because, you know, my example before about that shopping experience, we got a result, but I still didn't really know why. And I think we had some pretty good theories and we talked to a few people and now we start to understand, right, but I wasn't going to get there on my own. So it's not just a matter of can someone give me a report out of, you know, Google Analytics and I'm, I'm calling it case closed. And I think that's the bit we probably underestimated going into experimentation was it's never as black and white as you'd want it to be. It's not just here's a home run every time. It's like you ask a question, you get an answer, but you ask two more questions. And so, you, so then what do you do with that? So I think that that's challenging. And then the other thing that's challenging is do we really want to fragment our experience globally? Because then we've got to maintain it. We've done it in the past on a few things and like occasionally it reverts back because someone doesn't realize and think some, someone set it up wrong in my market. And they're like, surely this one market that's got delivery set up wrong is wrong. So like, I'm just going to go ahead and fix that. It's like, no, we did that because that, that market needs something different. And so it's like, you got creating simplicity is good because running all these different things is hard to keep track of, right? So do
0: you have a rule for that? Like, is there like a threshold where... You know the the minimum detectable effect is like 1% stuff i don't care what it shows me i'm going to standardize it like is there a way that you rationalize that
1: i think everything needs a bit of a debate because you got to you got to look at where are we heading so my example before about new versus you know the existing customers but well, we'd like to hope that the direction we're heading in is we're going to have a lot more returning customers right because we're going to do a good job and and so we kind of went well, it's sort of like a bit like paying it forward or something. You sort of go, well, we might not be there yet, but that's our aspiration. So why why tear ourselves in knots now, trying to cater for that when we are going to become that? We are, you know. And so you you, you debate that, I think, and I think that's that's what everyone should do. And that's where I think, if you're serious about your experimentation, you have to devote some time to it at a leadership level to have those discussions and debates. Because the important thing is, everyone that's involved in the business needs to be able to defend those decisions. Not not saying it's adversarial. But that that concept of if someone asks you, well, why did we do it that way, or why don't we do it the other way, you do need enough sort of senior people to be able to say, oh, I'm, you know, glad you asked. That's a great question. We ran a test. Here's the data. Here's the theory. Here's the research. It does need that alignment, or you just spin six months later and people want to go back to a different way. So, I don't I don't think it's a bad thing that it's lots of work because it's lots of people learning. If if I was going into it again, I would say plan more time for that because that's where the value comes. The value doesn't just come from, you know, getting a test out and getting a result back, you know, in a one-page report. Like, it's what do you do with that? What are you willing to invest? If it? Because, you know, a lot of these things we test to develop them properly and productionize them costs a lot of money with, you know, back-end development. And so, you know, you have to debate that. What else would we put in the roadmap if not this? Is that conversion result big enough? Does, does it trump the thing that someone else wants in the business that can't be quantified right now? So it's definitely more work to do global, but I think the, the better insight you have and that's there at your disposal and it's exciting. So if you, if you can find the time to properly explore it and debate it, I think it's, it's an absolute luxury. I feel really lucky that we're, we're in that position.
0: And Pete, you know, you and I have been talking about the future of CRO is how we integrate it with other, you know, tech stack, part of the tech stack. Do you see, do you see that as like, I'm interested because you were talking about global market I'm really interested in talk about we want to win customers back. And a lot of people, like a lot of my headspace is moving more and more towards that CRO, CRM. How do I bring you in? How do I deliver experiences that then give compels you to give me some information about you that then can attract you back in later as well? Do you see that as part of a, a growth plan for like the way you're viewing experience? or are you kind of still seeing them as... You send out an email over there and then you deliver a, a buying experience over here. Are they still separate or are you seeing them all connected up?
1: So I'm not seeing them connected up, but I think we should be seeing them more connected up. I think as retailers, we should be getting better at that. It is hard because it's generally really different parts of businesses. The people generally in retailers like the people running UX and, and, and CRO are like a million miles from the people running in marketing. Totally. And so... I don't know what the answer to that is. Like, you know, love to hear from anyone who is making progress on that. The, The conversations I've had with you that have really excited me is if we could bring some of the thinking around you start with what do we know existing? You know, what's the click data tell us? What's the heat mapping tell us? Let's do some usability testing. What does that tell us? Let's have some hypotheses about what could be different. Let's go test those. I think the marketers, traditional marketers, have been doing split testing for a long time and I think marketing was split tested before digital even in the old mail distribution catalogue. So I think they've, they've got a culture for it, but I don't think they come to it the way you or I might from a, a usability point of view. They still play the, where the kind of master in terms of designing what the customer and this, I mean, this is not a cotton-on reference. This is just my experience for years working with marketing.
0: Make sure you put that clause in, okay? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, this is Pete's experience, not the brand.
1: This is this is just in way broader. This is not unique. This is to every business I've worked in. And I, I, I we're guilty of it, though, in our area. We definitely design stuff that doesn't get usability tested that goes to production, but we regret doing it and we feel uncomfortable doing it because we know the benefit. It's often just we don't have time. But I, I think... There's a lot to be seen in bringing that, that end-to-end kind of customer um, experience optimization mindset to a lot of other content, social content as well. It's amazing the, when you see the analysis that like Facebook and Instagram and the agencies that, that partner with them can share with you on post performance just from changing the UX of a post. You know, the brand recognition, how clearly you include the brand, you know, when people are swiping through a feed. You know, that recognition, I, I just think if we could bring some of that thinking and bring that voice of the customer into some of those designers that we, we could improve, we could improve that in the industry a lot. Um, and I have heard of people doing it. i heard a great talk a couple of years ago at um, one of the Salesforce conferences in the US by a marketer who came to it. You know, he, he spoke like an economist, you know, he was just such a different breed but he actually had this totally um, I'm getting way off off topic
0: that's all right. I'm, I'm fascinated by it I think it's an I think it's an important interesting topic especially when you're in that global scale how important does that become or is the scale in, in hindrance on being able to execute that's why I really want to explore it with you
1: yeah I, th- I think that's huge like the the stories I have heard of people doing like the the conference example was fantastic in terms of just rough and ready show that email to 10 customers before you send it, ask them to tell you what they think, and then just adjust accordingly. Like I think that mindset, it's a growth hacking mindset. It's what you do if you're a startup because you couldn't afford to risk, you know, wasting your one shot at it. Whereas we're big businesses and we can just have shots again and again and again as retailers, you know, lots of us. And that's why the sort of proliferation of email marketing has happened because it was so easy just to do more. Um, but I think lots of people now are looking at you know how do we segment better? You know, Lots of retailers are talking about that. Lots of retailers are doing CDPs and getting more targeted. But I think the, the missing link is what, what's the most effective bit of content and information to put in front of that customer. So we might have the strategy and go, this is the right segment to send that message to. And that's great. That's really strategic and the data backs that. But what what, what does the designer put in that experience to make sure it gets the most cut through? I feel like that's the bit that's the least sophisticated in our, in our industry. And I think it's the, the nature of it because they're doing it such short, sharp, it's there once you know, and gone tomorrow. It's harder to justify investing that time in it. Whereas your website, if we, if we change the checkout, it might stay the same for a year more. So it's worth getting that right because it just sits there and earns the money. Whereas if you're designing a, you know, a couple of emails a week, how much can you justify usability testing? And that's where I think some of these rapid tools that we're getting of doing the, the testing remote, you know, without too much effort, I think that could really, you know, as they get sharper and faster and more cost effective, I think the, the industry will have to start doing that because it's so tough to engage people in those channels, right? And it's so competitive and they cost money. Yeah, I'd be surprised if in a couple of years, people don't see what's been happening, you know, in the, in the, the, the more UX kind of space of, of conversion optimization and growth hacking and take that across into more marketing.
0: Yeah, I kind of agree with you. I think there's, um, there's this kind of stepping stone. As, and I've noticed that as, as this market, like everyone now comes in and says, we do CRO. And it's really interesting because at the people who have been in this space for a while are now going, where else can this actually, because at the end of the day, experimentation is facilitating the best possible experience. And there's these huge retailers and all that who have these massive databases and their click-through rates are going down through the Gurgler and their conversion rates are going down because the the end-to-end experience isn't connected. So there's great opportunity inside, especially organizations who are at your size, where they can use experimentation as a way of facilitating better journeys and better connected experiences. I mean, that's kind of the growth mindset I see in my, in my mind. And hearing what you're saying is confirming it. Go, just getting back on back on task, sorry, I veered off for a second. I was just really interested in that convo, which we've had in the past. So apologies to go back there again. You, we talked about what would you do differently? You said, I'll come back to it. Let's go to it now. Well, if you if you could replay everything, what would you do differently?
1: I think the, the main point that I was starting to allude to before was just expecting to spend more time on it. I feel frustrated that I don't have the time to, to dedicate to it. I'm often the bottleneck on our program. And I think part of that's, you know, challenge of team. We've had we've had sort of the right team member for this uh, off on Matt leave, so she'll be back soon. And I think, you know, we've all got our challenges around that. But I think if I had more time to drive it, share the results, you know, um, with my peers at a leadership level or general managers, we could, we could move quicker and get more excitement and buy-in. And you do stand to be frustrated, feeling like you're the handbrake, and that you could be you could be enabling it to go faster, getting more value out of it. We get the value out of it within the team, and it, and I've said some you know it's just some, been some great examples where it's driven decision making. But I just feel like I could take some of this more broadly and excite people, get people you know really bought in more broadly. And I bet that's the the same for lots of businesses that are you know, at a medium or, or bigger scale where you've got lots of different departments and people. There's all these people you know and you have relationships with. You could easily get some time in the diary to go and talk through this kind of stuff um, with them and they'd be willing to to hear and it would help expand their mind and their thinking. That's probably the biggest one. And then the other would just be, we, we budgeted for a platform, you know, and so we, we we up the ante and we we use a better platform and we've gone ahead with that. And that's not, not been too big a deal. We're probably ambitious in, what you really need to get a program running in terms of budget, whether it's having enabling my team the time to do it or partnering with somebody external. That, for me, um, I would do that a bit differently. I'd go in a bit more eyes wide open now and say actually better to budget a bit more because there's no point having, you know, the Rolls-Royce tool, but you don't have anywhere to drive in it or enough people to, you know, to, to drive it. You, you sort of... You, you've
0: Has that been a challenge? Have people been the challenge or has it been time?
1: People has been a bit of the challenge, but then as soon as we take that challenge away, which we've done at various stages, Definitely. the bottlenecks then be management and leveraging it. So I'd like, you know, it's easy for someone in my position to go, oh, it's all resource, it's all challenge there. But the reality is as soon as you unblock that challenge, it just shifts up the, up, up the line. And so, you know, I probably couldn't have supported a whole lot more capacity this year just with the year we've had. Um, so that's why I started with, you know, I just wish I had more time for this. And, yeah, if I went into it again, I would definitely think of ways to build more time in for me so that I felt like I was getting better value out of it and I was doing it justice, you know, because I feel like we're not, we've got great tools, we've got a great roadmap, we've got good, great partners, but we're not really, we're not getting as much value out of it as we could because it's a long time between plate spinning, you know, it's like it's, it's like the plate only gets to spin every, every now and again. We might only delve in, you know, once a week to spend some time on experimentation. It really needs to be like a you know, you need a couple of hours every couple of days to really, to really it, be serious about it. Is it
0: because it's not delivering the results or is it because there are other things that are more important?
1: Other things that have become more pressing, especially when you go through COVID and you've got challenges left, right and centre as a multi-channel business and you've got, you know, distribution challenges, delivery challenges with, you know, delivery partners. Like it's been a hell of a year for retail and COVID. I don't think I have to tell anyone that's in retail yeah. what sort of year it's been because of that. And you've got to do the right thing by your customer when... when those things need attending to. Um, and that that stuff takes time because it's not stuff that you have a perfect playbook for, because we haven't done this lots of times. Yeah. So this year has been a bit of an anomaly. I think next year will be a bit better. Um, we're also going through that major redesign, as you know. And so a lot of the test capacity went to, well, that, that, that train, the wheels are in motion on that train. So we need to test the stuff before we spend the money. And so that yeah. took up a lot of the, the roadmap capacity for experiments as well. So, Look, I feel like next year it's it's a it's a bit of a step change in terms of how we think about that and it is really that focus on testing with a view to driving the conversion you know, off the bat rather than advising a, a redesign or anything.
0: Do you reckon you'll ever redesign the website again or would you just keep testing?
1: I, I'd like to say, because in my theory, theoretical, Pete says you just keep testing and it's all iterative, right? Agile, agile all the way. But then you look at a website that's just had that, across it for three or four years and you can't put your finger on any one thing. You go, it looks like it was designed three or four years ago and it's a bit of a mess because it just doesn't have that cohesive, it's had the, the that love and attention put into it as a as a cohesive experience. So you
0: know what they call that. What's that? Booking.com. That's what it's called. Yeah, yeah, right.
1: <laughs> so a lot of sites when you're on them, you know, you know, you know that this probably converts really well because it's actually pretty good to use. But do I love it? Do I feel good? And maybe that's okay with booking.com because I don't, I just want it to get the job done. But I feel like your fashion kind of apparel retailer. You you want more of an experience. You want that that site to be memorable and to look like the brand. So, you know, I'm not I'm I'm a rationalist in terms of if a test says something converts better, I, I believe that's what we should do. But at the same time, some of those things that you can't really put it put a measure on. I'm also keen to support that because. You know, brand is really important, perception is really okay. important.
0: That's a really interesting conversation. Is like, at what point do you sacrifice an experiment for brand? And at what point do you sacrifice brand for the experiment? That's a really like that's a that's like that's a hard one to answer.
1: I can answer it. I, I go with the test. So I only do that when I when I yeah, I only do that when I lose the argument because I I think you can you can then find a way to improve the brand experience around it and also my view is the best brand experience and this is coming from the digital guy and when i say this to product people in retail they're like this is weird but what i say is the best brand experience is the customer taking the product home because they'll wear the product like 10 20 30 times they'll tell their friends if they like it if they if it wears out and they want to buy another one they'll come back to us so it's like really is the is the brand experience because something's a bit better in your site you know, if it, if it's really ugly and someone says that was horrible, I never want to use that site again. Great, you know, you shouldn't you shouldn't deliver an experience like that. Yeah. But I reckon some of these things are pretty nuanced. And if the test says more customers shop with it, well, you sort of got to go. Well, more customers liked it then, right? So, uh- hey,
0: this is a controversial statement. Come. Hey, i love it Very I, don't,
1: I don't always win those arguments and i'm okay with that because lots of people we've got lots of experience that i've worked with over decades that you know they've got an intuition that lasts more than you know the moment of an experiment because you you know there's a long-term play thing at play so you've got to be compromising if you're in if you're in a role like we are where you you know so so i'll advocate for that but hey if people have, if people feel really strongly and there's enough weight behind an idea of let's go try something else because we think it's that represents who we are more, and it'll be a longer-term value. Um, yeah, I've i I've, I've come up against that for twenty years, and I think if you're uncompromising on that, you just you know you you can never you can never work with those people, and then as a result, you don't have harmony with well when the tests are good and we're happy with the brand experience and we like the result, we believe it because I start to get a little bit irrational about it.
0: Yeah. Uh, so it's a it's a it's a it's a tried and true old argument: data versus brand, because one's about a feeling and one's about the rational outcome, right? But yeah. I like the way you're connecting the two. So listen, last question for me, um, you know, where and I'm really interested in your point of view, given the world's gone global, you can shop from, you know, from Macy's all the way through to somewhere in Africa. Do, do you think the need for this type of global viewed experimentation program is becoming much more real? Because... You can have visitors coming in, shipping out to those countries is getting easier uh, and vice versa. So to stay competitive, do you think retailers need to start looking at virtual, you know, global positions? Is that that something that you think is an important thing for Australian brands?
1: Yeah, I think absolutely. If you've got the capacity and you're trading in other markets that aren't where you are, particularly not markets where you and the design team are because we have all our own inherent biases because we shop in Australia. So we mostly are used to the ext- Australian side experience. I think, I think it's absolutely worth doing, but it probably depends where you're at in your journey. If you've got some low hanging fruit that are just going to globally lift your UX, then why wouldn't you do that? You know, it, Because it's, it's easier and you do it once and you get the benefit. But if you're at that point where you're saying, gee, it's getting harder to get some wins, because as you get better, obviously, you know, the, the low-hanging fruit disappears. Then I, I would say absolutely starting to think about what, you know, what's the nature of your business? How does it vary in those markets? What's different about your competitors? Um, I would start looking at some of those things for sure, uh, because there could be some, there could be some quick wins there, you know, that you hadn't seen. They might not be wins that scale, but
0: yeah. And it's interesting if you think about it, what you what you said before is using more of a experimentation as an insights tool to understand the customer rather than a conversion tool. So really try to get into new markets, use experimentation to learn the messaging and the proposition and then slowly expanding from there, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. So yeah, you can use it for quite a few things in that way. And, and yeah, start with the basics. What's most different about a different market is what I would say. I mean, like you would do for your, you know, your, your different customers. If you, if you find you've got really different customer groups or cohorts of customers, you might say, okay, I'm going to build a journey around that it's sort of similar, right? It's just you're taking a market sort of lens to it rather than a, within our current market, here's our different, you know, different personas or our different use cases or journeys or however you go, you know, everyone thinks about that in their own way, but how, however you go about that, um, this is probably no different. It's just the, the filter or the bucketing of that is it's a market different difference. And so you, you can take that. And the good thing about that is you can easily get a benchmark for what's going on in that market by looking at your closest competitors and seeing what they offer because chances are that's what your customer, what standard your customer holds you to.
0: Really, really interesting. Mate, listen, we're running out of time. It's, I have to, you know, they always say you have that one person, you know, whether it's a girl or a guy that you chase after and then when you get them, it's not as satisfying. I got to say this this experience has been the opposite. It's been very satisfying. So I really appreciate that I finally got you on and we finally got to have this chat I don't feel Cotton Hunt's going to be upset. I don't think we've exposed anything. I think your experience has been golden.
1: <laughs> thanks, Neiman. I'm glad I didn't disappoint, and I'm sure, no, I haven't. Uh, I haven't crossed any lines there. So I hope I hope it's useful for everybody. Um, I love sharing what I can. Uh, I think it's a really exciting space, and I think it's great that we can um, we can all try and help mature this space together.
0: Yeah, thank you, mate. And anyway, look, uh, just to wrap up, Pete. Thanks so much for your time. Pleasure. Yeah. Thanks everyone for listening. You're listening to the Growth Hacking Podcast with uh, Nima from New Republic. Hopefully we'll see you in the next one with a bigger, brighter conversation and more enriching food for the mind. Thanks for joining.